This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co host, Laura Spath. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about GMO kettles. We don't know too much about it, but I am going to share a little bit of what I shared in my newsletter. And then we are going to answer some of your questions. It's been a while since we read some of the reviews, so we apologize for that. In the news, the FDA has approved GMO cattle, and it is approved for human consumption. They have already in the past approved GMO salmon, and they've also approved GMO pork. I know that the GMO pork is primarily used for medication. I'm guessing that maybe some of the armor we use for thyroid medication,、um, some of that, those types of organs from pork is GMO. It's something you may want to consider if you are taking thyroid medication. In terms of the salmon,、um, there was a lot of pushback as to this may not be safe for human consumption. So, for It's been approved for maybe two, three years now, but、um, it has not really been out and it's recently starting to come on the market. So, when you talk about GMO cattle,、um, what do you mean by that? Like, do you know, like, what are they allowed to do now or what exactly does?、Yeah. So, GMO is like genetically modified. What's the O stand for? I don't even know. Organism. Oh, okay. So, it's genetically modified organism.、Uh Essentially, they're going to change certain things about the cattle, and one of it is the short, shorter hair. And I guess it's beneficial for something, and I'll just read it to you guys. So, the FDA has determined that meat from cattle bioengineered to have shorter hair, known as a slick coat, poses a low risk to consumers who eat it. This is the first time that the FDA has made a low risk determination in a bioengineered animal for food use. The bioengineered cattle has a genetic trait that is naturally occurring. And is sometimes passed on to offspring. Cattles with the slick coat tend to do better in warmer climates. So, essentially, the goal would be that these cattles, if they genetically modify more slick coats, 
that if they're in the hotter climates that they can still do okay. And so they are using the CRISPR technology to alter the genes. And so it says here, while there are several ingredients and food items from bioengineered plants on the market today, there have been more regulatory hurdles for animals to be approved. Since 2017, animals genetically modified for food have been under the FDA's purview and regulated with the same scrutiny as new drugs. So a lot, like what's the difference then between GMO cattle, where they're obviously trying to breed for short hair or something, or like Mm -hmm. they take two different kinds of apples and they breed them together and they make like a sweeter apple, which we see. I mean, obviously I know everything that has to do with like fruits and vegetables and you hear about GMO stuff, like even if it says organic, maybe that specific strain wasn't modified, but like those apples are, have definitely been modified over the years, even if they say organic on them. I think the terminology is just breeding, um, how they have those like toy pets and toy dogs and puppies where they're like these really small Yorkies that cost thousands of dollars and they're designer dogs. And they're basically crossbreeding them to be really, really small. There's no genetic modification. They're just hand selecting who will breed these little puppies to be smaller and smaller. And so the same thing goes with fruits. I think with the organic versions, they over the years and decades, they crossbreed fruits to be sweeter. And then when it's genetically modified, it really depends. So they will modify the actual DNA of the plant. And then with this, it's the cow. Um, They're actually modifying the cattle with the CRISPR technology where they are changing the DNA sequence. There is a lot of concern because right now there's dairy that you can buy. They, They will extract a milk protein and then they'll make ice cream from it. It is from a cow technically, but it's not from a true cow. They just, it's a lab created dairy product that now is ice cream. It's really popular. And my concern is that nature creates enzymes and Um, and these whole foods to be in a natural state, how do we know that when we start making it in labs that it has every single function and property that that the natural source has? So that's like one of my concerns. And in the salmon, uh, some of the concerns that have come out, because we don't really have any comparisons with this cattle, but one of the concerns is that uh, salmon, this genetically modified salmon, will outcompete regular salmon. I guess the standard salmon takes about three years to produce. GMO salmon takes about 18 months. So then how do the the standard farmers for salmon, how do they even compete with these genetically right. modified salmon? And then they are known to cause more allergies. So usually with the GMO variety, because they're altering the DNA, and we don't know what in the proteins are causing people to have allergies, histamine responses, there is a tendency for for these genetically modified foods to have more um, allergies. In the Carnivore Cure book, I talked about a certain strawberry, that one of the problems with strawberries is that when the weather gets too cold, they freeze and then the fruit is no longer good. And so they have genetically modified the strawberry to use a, a DNA in a certain type of fish that's can thrive in cold weather. And so now when certain people eat the strawberry, they may have a sensitivity because Hmm. of the fish. Those are the concerns with the GMOs. And then it's also been found that most genetically modified foods, including the salmon has higher levels of growth hormone. And so growth hormone IGF one, unfortunately, it's been found to promote cancer. The concern is, will these things also then have the same issues with GMO cattle. And we just don't know that. Um, It may take up to two years 
without any resistance for this GMO cattle to be on the market. But I just do have concerns because we we are not God and we are humans making these changes in the lab. But how do we know it's exact the exact replica of a real cattle? And how do we know that it will not affect us in some small, minute way that only shows up years to come? And it's not like you can even necessarily know that what you're eating that you're getting from the grocery store is non modified in some way. Like we said, with the breeding, like everything's been bred in a certain way, but even like a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables can get away with labeling things organic, even if they have been modified in the past. And so there is not that clear there's, you're not going to have something clear on the labels. That's going to let you know that this is like GMO beef. I don't, I, I don't think personally, I think we see that with like beef cloning. I don't know if you're aware, but like most beef that we eat has come from some sort of cloning of some kind. And like, while that's not the same as being modified, like we still don't know if that comes, if that's an exact replica, but beef cloning is also allowed and does, they don't have to put that on a label. And like, I'm sure I eat cloned beef every day, like beef that comes from uh, some sort of, of cloning and cloned beef is not the same as lab grown beef, right? I think I'm not going to be convinced that lab grown beef is the same thing as like cloned beef um, because that still comes out and is raised the same. But I think all of this ways of trying to industrialize things like farming um, is going to end up in the grocery store. And I think you're right. Like it does affect us. We won't know how this meat, the changes in this meat affects us. We don't know how the changes in a lot of these fruits and vegetables have affected us um, nowadays. I think we see that with seed oils and the seed oils have been processed and more and more processed. And now all of a sudden we have all these health issues that we weren't having before. And right now, thankfully, the problem with seed oils is becoming a lot more uh, mainstream information. Right. And, you know, I spoke with Dr. Bill Schindler and he talked about how it's not really what we're eating, but the how. And so he talked about how in the Mexican culture, corn was very prized and the way that they prepared it was very safe and the B vitamins would be a lot more absorbable. But now the, now the way we make corn is just not ideal for our health. If we think about these things, we have altered so much of our food to now become a harm on our bodies. And I am just concerned that I work with some of the sickest people in the carnivore community. And for some of them, beef is the only food that is saving them or lamb is the only food that is saving them. And when we start altering even those foods for these people that have a super heightened autoimmune response or an immune response where anything makes them really, really sensitive. If now beef is not on the table, what does that mean for these people? And that's the biggest concern I have is I highly doubt that they will label these products. I mean, when it came to genetically modified plants, there was a lot of pushback with these corporate foods to label their product. They said no, and they were fighting back. There was a lot of legal cases. And then the same thing happened with salmon. Right now, you can eat genetically modified salmon at restaurants and you have no idea because they have past, um, they've gone through some legal things where they do not have to announce that you're eating the genetically modified version. But again, they were born 18 months faster than the average, average natural salmon, they have a tendency to have more IGF one, and then they can cause more allergies. So a lot of carnivores, when they eat salmon, they say they have histamine responses. I wonder if we're eating some of the genetically modified versions that are actually exacerbating histamine responses, that if we ate some other variety, it wouldn't have been as bad. 
again, it just makes me worry about the cattle versions because meat only, especially when it's ruminants, have been so life-saving for so many people. And if we start altering that, what does that mean for people that need it to thrive? And it's not as simple as just looking at the label and then buying things based on the labels because you really don't know what you're getting even then. And there's so many like, I guess, loopholes of the labels, or you're buying something that's cage-free eggs. Well, that's because the chickens are like in this entire pen and there's like thousands of chickens running around, you know, and you see these like vegan propaganda movies, but it is real. I mean, like they can call something cage-free when you have like, you know, thousands of chickens in a pen together. And it's not like these chickens are out like bounding like a cartoon character over the pastures and then like lay out an egg, here you go. Like, they can use labels on packages that don't really represent like this ideal life you think this animal has lived. And, you know, at the end of the day though, like I care a lot about, this is off topic, I guess, but like I care a lot about animal safety and well being, but I care most about my family and my health. And so the, you know, the, I think the labels sometimes are misleading. And so at this point you like, like you mentioned, you really don't know what you're going to be getting at the grocery store. Um, you know, just simply based on the labeling. I've come to the conclusion based on what you just said. So just for example, with eggs, if it's not organic, pasture-raised, corn-free, soy-free, I don't think it's worth the money to get the like cage-free or all the other varieties because there's really no difference. I mean, it's a lot more marketing than anything. So unless you get the ones that are truly roaming the grass and, you know, from a farm that you know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then nutritionally, we've talked about like nutritionally, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of marketing goes into making the egg yolks a certain color and you can have like you personally buy eggs from a local farmer and the same batch of chickens can have very different colors of yolks. And so sometimes like a specific yolk color isn't necessarily telling you the nutritional value within it because there's some kind of tricky things that can be done to like give a darker yolk color uh, intentionally because people believe that that's what makes it more nutritious. Eggs, essentially, if the chicken was eating any type of carotenoid, so like beta carotene type of foods, they'll have more amber colored egg yolks. But chickens are naturally omnivores. So they want to eat worms and they want to eat bugs. Well, if they eat a lot of bugs and worms, they're not going to have the bright golden amber colored egg yolks. So you want a mix of that. There are stories where people show that People are feeding um, eggs marigold just to make their egg yolks really bright amber. But if you really, and I have clients that'll buy the omega-3 eggs and they're a lot more expensive because they say they're more omega-3 rich, but just have like one ounce of salmon. If you have one ounce of salmon, it doesn't matter how much of the omega-3 eggs you eat. It's nothing near the amount that is in salmon. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I like eat the grass-fed beef. We've said this often, but eat the grass-fed beef if you right. want to. But if you're like... Or if it makes you feel better, right? If there, if you if you are that sick, like Judy was talking about, and you're having reactions to other things, like then then try that. But if it's because of the slight nutritional difference in something, like just add some variety to your diet, and then you don't have to worry about the nutritional difference in grass fed versus grain fed beef. But um, it will be interesting to see how things like GMO affect us over time. And I think that it's it's not something that we're going to really even this generation will be able to know, like how much we've just mess with our food system and mess with the animals in general. I know I, as I was writing the newsletter, I was thinking if this GMO cattle really became prevalent in the grocery stores, like would it change my behavior and will I just go purely to ranchers? And I think that's where my heart is leaning on, 
but it's so convenient to go to a grocery store, right? And some of the meat at the grocery just tastes better. And so I don't know what that means, but it's just really unfortunate that why do we have to tamper with everything? Why can't we just have the cattle that's meant to be in certain climates be there? And my guess is there's a lot more of an economic impact. I don't really know the nuances of that. I'm not a rancher, so I don't know. But I just never think it's good to alter and modify people's DNA. I I don't know, maybe I'm just really conservative in that way or traditional, but I just think it's uh, we're playing with fire when we do these things. Well, a lot of it is just comes down to cost and profit and like what's how fast can we get food or beef ready for um, for consumption or for harvest? You know, that's why a lot of the reason why grass finished beef is more expensive is because it has to live twice as long and you have to care for that animal and have the, you know, the grow the hay for that animal and the grass and the, and all of these different things, you have to pay for that animal's life twice as long as you do than a grain finished uh, animal, especially in those takes, you know, three months to finish a cow on uh, grain. When, if you're doing it from grass, it takes another year to 18 months. And so that's a huge cost difference and think about having a salmon that takes three years to be ready for consumption and harvest versus one that's 18 months. How much cheaper is the one right. that's at 18 months? And so I'm sure that if you can get cows to grow faster and we can cut it down from being 18 months to a year and you know we're able to um, feed more people faster and cheaper by doing it that way. No, and I, and I get that. It's just a long time ago, uh, when my husband and I were first dating, we brought up genetically modified foods. And I was so opposed to these foods, because I said the glyphosate on the plants are so toxic. We spray them on our yards and our kids inhale this, there's like a half life of two to three weeks that it's still in the floor on the ground. And then they use it at the very end of harvesting to dry the crop. So you have a fresh amount of glyphosate that they use on these GMO products. And my husband's argument was, well, there's a lot of people, and this is what most people think, is that, well, there's a lot of people that cannot afford foods. If they have the GMO foods, there's just more food for can go around for everyone. But I think it's a marketing tactic, because if you look at what happened with corn and maize for the Mexican farmers, our government subsidizes corn to be so incredibly cheap that that's why high fructose corn syrup and all corn is so incredibly cheap. We export it all over the world. And so Mexico has always been a country that has so many different kinds of corn and, and their farmers, it was part of their culture and tradition, but they couldn't compete anymore. And a lot of the farms were starting to close down and these poor Mexican farmers would come over to America to just find any kind of job. And it was disrupting their culture. And we don't think about these things like, sure, maybe in America and maybe these other countries that are um, exporting this corn syrup, maybe they can buy it for cheap, but is it really necessarily better food for us? And it's totally affecting a culture that thrived off of the corn and the farmers from it. And I just saw that recently as I was doing the newsletter, the Mexican country, they have banned the use of any GMO corn from America. So they've stopped it completely. Yeah. So I I saw so many news articles about it's going to impact our the American economy with corn. I do know that because there are so many law cases that has come up with glyphosate usage and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and lots of other issues with cancer, with these genetically modified foods, there are so many countries that are banning the use of glyphosate. And I think Mexico went as far to 
just ban the um, import of any GMO corn from America. Wow. And then that has an impact, turns around, has yeah. an impact on our economy. Um, right. And then really, you don't know where, you know, where that ripple effect ends for sure. I just wanted to bring this up because it was it, an attention grabber. And I mean, it's just for me, I think I personally always had a thing against genetically modified foods. And then when I saw that GMO cattle was now approved by the FDA, it was just a little concerning. I wanted to share with the community, there's really not much we can do right now. Maybe we can write letters to our legislation, but it's just, it's important to keep an eye on. Yeah. And it's just something for us yeah. to know. And also, you know, depending on where this goes, it is, I'm, I talk all the time about how much I support shopping at your local grocery store. And I will continue to do that as long as it is safe and healthy for my family to do so. And I believe that it is safe and healthy for my family to do so now. But it also is like we talked about last week, just being prepared, knowing, you know, where you where you can source meat from uh, and looking for those alternatives is always a good idea. Making friends with farmers, um, no matter what the circumstances are, is, is a good idea. And so just I think this is something for us, it affects us, it affects our nutrition, and we should keep an eye on it for sure. Yeah. And maybe if you're really sensitive and you have a heightened immune response, after two years, if that's when GMO cattle is supposed to come out, so in 2024, maybe you're going to have to switch over to buying from your local rancher so you can make sure that it's not the GMO cattle. I mean, it's just something to consider if you are eating beef in two years and you're not feeling well from the grocery store, you may just have to switch over to make sure you know your sourcing. And it's just, well, and again, also it doesn't, I mean, obviously verify with them, but just because it's somebody who's a, a local true. farmer doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be unmodified. Um, you know, they're, who knows what the new, uh, the way that they're farming in general is, you know, the new farming practices. It's true. Yes. So at least know your sources then I guess would be a better response. Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, actually shift topics and we are going to read some of the reviews. Yeah, we have lots of good questions. You guys know this is the, if you want us to talk about something on the podcast, this is kind of the best place to do it. And so some of them are really long. For this first one, I'll go ahead and read the first one. Um, it says, thanks for the real talk. My husband and I recently have gone carnivore three weeks. I went, almost went 180 from plant-based to carnivore. I love how you're just uh, being real with great knowledgeable advice. If you haven't touched on this yet, uh, I'd like to know how to deal emotionally with this transition. I try to look it up, but there's not a lot on how to mentally deal with all um, that is eating an animal if you've not eaten it in over seven years. Thanks. So this is true. And I think this does come up a lot for people who've been on this plant-based uh, way of eating. I think we've talked about it a little bit in this episode and the, and the last one about knowing your sourcing. I think, you know, knowing that this cow has lived on this pasture, if this is something that's really a concern, like maybe it wouldn't help you to get to know the actual cow before <laughs> that might actually make things worse. But I do think knowing your sourcing is important. And like, you know, I think more than anything though, that know that you are a valuable person and your health is more important than a cow's health. And like a cow is born and raised and made to feed you and to give you this healthy, happy life. And I think that, you know, it's important to realize kind of like that's what they're there for. And it doesn't mean that they're treated poorly. Most cows, um, I know I really, I think we have to put out of our head a lot of the videos that maybe you've seen from like a vegan standpoint. A lot of those slaughterhouse videos are from, you know, other countries. Um, a lot of them are taken out of context or just not a realistic a picture of like what an actual um, cow's life looks like. Most cows live 90% of their life out on these pastures and they have a wonderful life of like 
swatting flies and eating grass and like having this great life and um, practices of how they harvest cows are now done in a very humane way. And they're not experiencing this traumatic situation. And so, you know, I, I think knowing that might be helpful, but also just really digging into that research might make it worse. I think just realizing that your life and your health is more valuable than that of an animal. And I'm sorry to say, but yeah, you can love your, you can love animals and know that your health and your life is still more valuable than that. So I can speak to this a little bit. And, um, I was plant-based for 12 years. I had zero beef, chicken, pork in those 12 years. In that interim, I watched all the plant-based documentaries. I I watched Meat Health. I watched Earthlings. I cried my eyes out watching those things. And and it was hard for me to switch over when people knew me as a pescatarian where I had occasional fish, but essentially I was just eating plants. And and to have to come out of the closet in a sense and say, actually, now I'm a full on carnivore where I'm the complete opposite end and now I don't eat plants and I think they're toxic. Um, that was a very big identity change for me and it was a struggle. And I thought about all the videos I watched, all the things where I'm like, I'm never going to use leather again. I have a fur coat and I'm never going to wear my fur coat. And I thought of all of these things, but but I also remember how sick I was, how I was not with my son because I was more into my eating disorder, which I um, attribute to my plant-based diet. And and having my health taken away from me for 10 years of those 12 years, likely, that I was really isolating myself and not being part of my friends and community. And then thinking about how depressed I was where I didn't want to live another day. And even with my children or my first son, where I was severely depressed. And I think about all those moments and I would never go back to eating plant-based knowing how I feel now and how I am as a person now and how I have a full life now versus back then when sure I was not eating any animals, but I was a wreck as a person. I wasn't there for my friends. I was so hot and cold to whether it was any of my ex-boyfriends, my, uh, my work, my family. And I was just a a mess. Like every other day, you weren't sure what version of me you would get. And I was very hot tempered and emotional. I had to get on antidepressants. I wasn't able to be a mom. And, and I think about that. And as I nourish my body and I respect the land and I teach my kids as we go to the farm and we, we give the respect to our farmers and we understand where our food comes from and we respect that. And if we are healthy people and we're in the ground in the future, we will be able to be good fertilizer for the cows. But more than that, we will be healthy, that we can be good citizens in this world and we can make this world a better place. And I think that is the core of what people call ahimsa or do no harm. If I'm living my life as a full human and I am doing all the good things that God intended for me to do, then I I am living my life just as much a cow or a chicken or um, a, a pig is living their lives it doesn't mean that we're evil for eating these animals. And it was a hard transition. But if you just take a look at your own life and you think about why are you trying to eat meat? Are there certain debilitating illnesses in you? And then you'll realize that there's no cow or no chicken or no pork that will be worth your life than theirs. And I'm not saying therefore you should be mean to them, 
give back, right? So the way I do it is I try to find farmers that I can give my resources to that I know take care of their animals. And that's how we, I do it. And, and so it's this changing of your perspective. Um, and it was not easy for me. It took me a while to come out to my friends and family and community that I was no longer plant-based. But the more and more I have better health, um, the more and more I feel like I will advocate for this way of eating for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. We know that that's you, your body needs that nutrition and you are so much more valuable than an animal. And I'm, I know that's a hard thing for some vegans to hear, but I have no shame in saying that. Like my kids' lives matter more than a chicken's. (laughs) It's not so me. It's because people, people say that to me all the time. Like, don't you care about the animals? Like, absolutely I do, but I care about my family more. Sorry. Yeah. So I care about, I care about respecting them and teaching them the good practices, but my family matters more than that. Right. Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next comment is from Sarah Lindentree. Gratitude. Hi, Laura and Judy. I'm so grateful for the wide range of topics you discuss. As a 67-year-old person who was always somewhere between chubby and obese, and only at the age of 64 reached my goal of 100 pounds off with keto and fasting. I'm now 18 pounds up, but taking it off again with carnivore and fasting. I know the landscape of emotional eating and so much science and nutrition. But first, things are always changing. And second, it's just as complicated as each person. You really honor all these dimensions. Listening it to listening to all, all the episodes has helped me to stay on track. An idea and a suggestion. I'd love to hear you talk about the psychology of maintenance. Just today I heard you say that there was grieving when you realized there would be no moment of arrival at a new place of being all done. Are words to that effect? Then where should we live? Anyway, thank you both for the huge effort, for your good hearts, and for shining a light on the path for me and many others. Five hearts. So thank you in there too. Her suggestion was on how I can stop my late night shopping. So you can go read that <laughs> if you want to see that suggestion. It's a really cute idea. Um, I, I mean, I agree. I think sometimes though, I think we have to honor those moments of grief where we, when we feel like we're missing out on those foods. But we also have to remember that like, I don't feel that way all the time. I can have a sad moment where I'm like sad about not being able to eat something or I'm stressed. Like this week I was, is one of the most stressful weeks of my life. I'm not going to lie. And the fact that I made it through this week without eating anything bad is an absolute miracle. And I've never been more proud of myself. Um, but it doesn't mean that like watching everybody else eat a specific food in the break room at the office wasn't really hard for me and how much I wanted to give that to myself. So I think it's okay. Like it's okay to, I live in this place of, acknowledging moments that are hard, but then being proud of myself most of the time. Uh, and so I think that it's finding the balance, not, ex- I think not expecting things to be easy and perfect all the time is where I live. When I expect them to be easy and perfect all the time, the grief is really overwhelming. But when I acknowledge those hard moments and then just move forward, it, it really makes this an easier place and it doesn't feel quite so overwhelming all the time. Yeah, I think when we have expectations, it inevitably will lead to disappointment because in our minds, we always create the most lavish expectations. And oftentimes, it's just not enough in real life. And I listened to so many different people. And recently, I had Von Kohler on my channel, and he was the co-host of the MFCEO podcast. And they always talk about grit, resilience. Um, They have interviewed some of the most successful business people in the world, billionaires. And when I asked Vaughn, what was the secret sauce of people always doing well 
he's saying that even if you fall, you keep going, you, you stay consistent. And some days will be hard. And the true test is what do you do during those hard days? It's not the easy days that really matter. It's the days when it gets hard that even if you fall, just pick yourself up and keep going. Don't be scared. Don't be fearing things. And don't try to just stay in your complacent um, shelter. I mean, sometimes it's forcing yourself to get out of that to then really feel happiness. Right. And um, one thing that Andy Frisella, who was his co-host, just recently said was that as much as he's been sharing this podcast for, I don't know, like seven years now, and he's a super motivational speaker, he still has struggles. Like the other day he was bringing up that he was struggling and he was thinking, I'm just going to eat that pizza. And instead he decided not to. And what he realizes and what he wants people to realize is that it never just is that, oh, okay, from now on. I will never struggle with food. I will right. never struggle with addiction. I, it, it'll never be that way. Our lives will always have um, ebbs and flows of where you will struggle. And it's figuring out what to do in those moments where it gets hard because life will get hard. Diets will get hard. And then what do you do in those moments? And the more you don't succumb to the easy pressures, the better off you'll be. And sometimes we will fall and that is okay. And figuring out how to just keep going. but and And not just think, one day I'll get to the perfect size. One day I will find true happiness. One day, one day, one day. Well, it'll never happen. And the, the this world is intentionally made that way, I think. And if we just accept that there will be good days, there will be bad, but I will be prepared for the bad days on most days, um, you will be off on a much better start. Yeah, absolutely. The next one is from Britt5495. And she says, thank you for helping me regain. And then I cut off. I'm not sure. But uh, she said, I look forward to every Wednesday to listen to your uplifting commentary on how to thrive on a meat-based diet and make it sustainable. In the past, I have struggled with staying true to what makes me feel best. I really appreciate all the time, effort, and love you guys put into your shows and the community. Thank you both for making me smile and reminding me of all the reasons that I can and will succeed. God bless you both. You've helped change my life for good. and that." Really so means thank a lot. You. That's why yeah. we keep doing this week after week. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. So the next one is by Mariana Otero, my number one podcast. Love you, ladies. Been struggling to remain consistent, but your knowledge and experience has been eye-opening and extremely supportive. Would love to hear a podcast on people who have had bariatric surgery. I am a double bariatric patient, sleeve and then bypass due to ulcers in esophagus and have been struggling with either appetite and then extreme cravings due to food aversions. I would love to know in depth what happens to the body and brain after surgeries like that. Maybe some strategies I can implement until food aversions subside. Thank you for all you do. That is definitely something I think we can, we would both need to look into more to be able to talk fully on it. I know that, you know, it's so important though, after you have those types of surgeries to focus on getting enough protein in and like to make sure, cause a lot of people lose weight so rapidly, but then are really malnourished because their body's not getting, you know, absorbing enough nutrition. And so focusing on things like beef from a physical perspective would be ideal or, you know, eggs and, and other things so that your body's getting enough nutrition. Um, as far as the brain, I think that's definitely not a thing that I'm um, familiar with, but that maybe that's somebody that we have on like to talk about that. And like from a, uh, an expert perspective, maybe that's a guest we could get in the future to, to talk through that. So when you do bariatric surgery, you will decrease the size of your stomach. And so I know that if you try to eat too much, your stomach literally just cannot handle it. One way they've countered that is obviously taking digestive enzymes and other types of supplements like that. But it's um, 
having multiple meals in a day. So you may not be able to eat a lot at once. The goal would be maybe five smaller meals where you can try to get in as much protein and fat as you can. But it'll be a process. It'll be a period where you're going to have to train your body to be able to tolerate foods and um, just figuring out what you can tolerate. And you're just going to have to self experiment on yourself. Some people could do smoothies, but then that can expand their stomach pretty quickly. And when I mean smoothies, I mean, maybe like a protein powder with whey protein. I have a colleague that's also a nutritional therapist, but she eats five meals a day. And then she uh, takes supplements to sort of balance the lack of nutrition she may get from such small meals. And I think over time, you may be able to eat a little bit more. But in terms of the psychology of it, it's just if it's so new to you, um, you may just have to honor your body where you're not feeling well, try to find different kinds of foods that you may be able to tolerate. Maybe it's chicken one day instead of beef or Maybe it's having a little bit of yogurt instead of having actual meat. Um, again, this will be, I think the best thing would be a little bit of self-experimentation. And then I believe Dr. Sives is a bariatric surgeon. And if you go back to his older videos, I'm not entirely sure, but I think he talks about his patients and yeah. psychologies around that. So you may want to just look into that. I mean, I would ask you, you know, why did you even get the surgery in the first place? And just think about what caused you to get it and then what what may have caused you to gain weight over the years? And is there an area that you need to heal in your life to no longer turn to food for comfort, for example? And I don't know your situation, but it's something to consider. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next up, it says, this was about episode 50 and it's from Ginger6008. Thank you so much uh, for digging into this topic of fasting. My history is also very similar to Judy's and I often feel unheard that I should just magically get over the remnants of decades of disordered eating, torturous amounts of exercise, laxative abuse, starving, binging, purging. I've done it all. I never got thin enough to, uh, never got thin enough, no matter how much I tried. I was in inpatient rehab twice for disordered eating the second time in my early thirties, very low carbs since 2009 carnivore for four and a half months. And I've experienced some freedom in these years. Carnivore is amazing for me, but I still get triggered and feel unheard when I am pressured into feast and fast. Feasting triggers a lot of mental chatter and some panic in me. And I have figured out that I do best when I eat until I'm satisfied and then eat again when I'm hungry, regardless of the clock. I get emotional with Judy. And when she talked about her history and resonated with everything she said, I love Laura and Judy's messages and social media content that they post individually together. And they are an amazing force. Thank you for this podcast and show. And thank you so much, Ginger. And I think you're right. Sometimes we did say some things in the beginning of the show that we said differently at the end of the show, because that's exactly it. What's true for me is not true for Judy. And what's true for her mom is not true for my mom. And like, what's true for me is not true for you, Ginger. And like, it's so important that we're not letting one message be true for everybody. And so, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to discuss. And that's why sometimes people have a hard time with that episode specifically like fasting, where we discuss a lot of different things and some of it does contradict itself. And that's because things are going to be different for everybody, depending on your context. And I would never looking just the minute you say that this is your history. Great. You should never fast. Absolutely. It's not going to work for you. And it, it, it would be damaging to you. And we shouldn't be encouraging you to do that. But somebody coming from my right. background should. And I think it's important that we discuss all sides of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I work with some of the clients that have such different cases. And if I were to just say, well, everyone needs to eat this amount of meat. Everyone needs to eat this amount of fat. Everyone should fast. Everyone should take this supplement. If 
if that was truly the case, my job would be so incredibly easy, but it's not because every case is different and every situation is different. And then if I see a collective similarity with people like with vitamin A toxicity or copper toxicity, for example, I'll bring it up. But otherwise, there is nuance. I mean, we are so different. Laura and I look completely different. We're from different parts of the world, um, (laughs) our genetics. And, And so we are coming to this diet so differently. I struggled with an eating disorder. Laura didn't. And so that's why that binging and restricting is so, or the feasting and fasting is so different for us and different meanings and different triggers in our hormonal responses to this. We would always want to share like the different nuances in this space because we want you to ultimately thrive. We want you to get to optimal health. When one group of people say lean protein is the answer, when another group says that it has to be fasting, it'll depend. That's the truth in all of this. And we hope that we can share enough sides that you can figure out what will work for you and what lever you need to pull to get you to healing. And that's all we care about on the show is to truly help this community. It's really not for anything more. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the next one is Lena D1025. I love your passion. Thank you, ladies, for your dedication to being real and truthful in all things carnivore. Judy, I could hear your heart and your passion in episode 50, The Truth About Fasting. I know everyone's bringing it up because I kind of teared up. So (laughs) I know I'm a bit of a crybaby, but. No, that was real. Your book arrived today. I can't wait to read it. Laura, I also love your videos on YouTube. I'll be a girl master soon. Praying all the best for both of you and your families. Thank you. Thank you. The next one is from JSORNX. Uh, love the honesty and the, the last one cut off, but uh, I follow the passion. Passion. Okay, perfect. Judy, I followed Judy and Laura for several years on and off, and I find that I can relate to what they share. It's real and it's life. Thank you both for the time and effort you put into these podcasts and the content. I would love to hear some more about how to manage blood glucose on a carnivore diet. Is it important to keep it low and what are the best ways to do this? So we have an episode on higher A1Cs. I'll link to that in the show notes. I also talked to Dr. Benjamin Bickman about this, and that was on the Nutrition with Judy podcast. I will put that on the notes. And then there's an episode with Dr. Paul Mason. We also talk about A1C as well. I will put that in the notes. The bigger overarching thing you need to know is that on a carnivore diet, your blood sugar will likely be much higher than on a ketogenic diet with low protein and high fat. And it's okay that it's high. It's okay if it's 95 in the mornings, every morning, it's okay if your A1C is closer to 5.4, 5.5. The key is that you don't have as many spikes. And what I mean by that is it's normal to go up 10, 20 points after a carnivore meat only meal, but you don't want to have these big swings, like maybe 50 points up or down. And, and the other key thing is if you're being, if you're able to sleep through the night on most nights, um, if you ever wore CGM, you would see if you had these big swings. And a lot of my clients, I just got one the other day, my client, his blood sugar generally is in the eighties, which is great. But in the middle of this night, his blood sugar goes down to the forties and he Mm. wakes up because then he gets the cortisol spike and it's exactly why he's waking up. And we're trying to figure out um, because he doesn't eat carbs. So that's not that, but it could be stress. It could be some other things, but as long as your blood sugar is relatively consistent, I would check in the morning, I would check right before a meal. And then I would check about two hours after a meal. If they're relatively in the same spot, um, that's a good thing. I do think it should move a little bit, but if it um, if it moves too much, then that's what is not ideal. And it's not really the number that you're focusing on. Yeah, that's a good idea to look at the movement and how, how quickly yes. you come back to baseline is also key. Right. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's me. Next, great podcast from Sandra Video Files. This is a fun and informative podcast. Thank you, Laura and Judy. And thank you, Sandra, for the review. Okay, the next one is Driller T450. Always a good show. A plus. I love you two together. I'm instantly in a happier mood when I see a new episode posted. So keep them coming. Thank you. Um, Episode idea. I would love to hear you talk about how to deal with family members who are not low carb keto carnivore who live with you. I'm not the only one buying cooking food. I'm the only one buying real food. What are the dangers of me prioritizing protein and healthy fats on my family's plates? but they still choose to eat cereal, cookies, pastries, etc. They get a lot of protein. My husband and mom buy the processed junk food because it's on sale and then feed it to my kids aged 9, 10, and 11. Once in a while, my kids will have pure carnivore days, but it's maybe once a week. I'm just afraid of this combination on a daily basis. I've already had very emotional, stressful days, having little arguments over their food choices. Yeah, that's so hard. That is so hard. And I think... I mean, I think that definitely that's maybe not something we can answer fully right now, but we'll have to get into that at a future time too. But I think it's hard when, if they're your kids, I think that's where I would draw a firmer line and just say like, these are my kids. And hopefully you can get your spouse on board of some kind. Um, If it's like your mom feeding your kids those things, I would have a strong conversation about what you're okay with and what the boundaries are there. Um, If it's other people who are feeding themselves something terrible in your house and they're buying their own food and they're eating it, like I would let that go personally. Like you're sick and you're eating something bad for you. And it is, that's your decision and you're a grown adult. But if somebody was feeding that to my kids constantly and I wasn't okay with it, then that's where I would definitely pick, pick and choose your battles in this moment. And that's one that I would pick more so. Um, not even to say like a hundred percent strict all the time, but to make it more of a weekly thing and not a daily thing. In terms of the nutrition aspect, I do think it's a risk and I hate to say that. I did an interview with Bar K. He talks a lot in detail about the Randall cycle. It's not out yet. I don't know if it'll be out by this time that this conversation comes out, but it'll be out sometime in April. So you definitely want to check that out. Essentially what happens with the Randall cycle is our bodies either use glucose or it uses fat. And if you use both, then both sides shut out and both of the energy sources don't get effectively used within the body. And that's what causes insulin resistance. My concern with families that eat a lot of fat and protein, even if they're from clean sources and then add the carbohydrates, even if they're from clean sources, the concerns is it's no different in terms of the macros of a standard American diet. Right. So that is the concern of, you know, what is so wrong of eating a McDonald's hamburger with the bread and then a French fries, there's like a 30, 40, 40 split in the macros. It's because it's a mix of the different energy sources that can cause then insulin resistance. I have similar struggles with my husband, to be honest. Um, What I advocate for on most days with my family is that my kids eat the meat and fat first, maybe they'll have a dessert at the end. I'm always mindful of the amount of carbs they eat. I know that even that amount is probably not ideal, but this is real life. And then on some days, maybe on the weekend, once a week, um, my kids will eat like a probably a little bit healthier than a standard American dieter, but they'll still maybe go out for pizza. And I have to deal with that because that's the balance of our family. But generally, if I see symptoms, if my kids are struggling with eczema, if they are breaking out, if they have anything, that's when we'll go to a cleaner diet. Essentially, you don't want to be mixing too many carbs with too much fat because you are risking a little bit more insulin resistance. And that's why I think vegans fare better for a while because they're basically eating zero fat. And so they're just leaning on the um, glycogen or the glucose. 
And so they're not stimulating the Randall cycle of both. And then carnivores without the carbs, they're not really stimulating the Randall cycle with the glucose. And so when you do both, that's the danger of mixing a lot of fat with carbohydrates. And that's where the red meat gets such a negative stigma for causing high blood pressure and salt gets the problem for causing high blood pressure and, and cardiac issues is because people are eating salt with carbohydrates, or they're eating the red meat with the sugar. And so you're eating this high saturated fat diet. It's not the saturated diets, saturated fats fault. It's the fact that you're eating the saturated fat with the carbs and sugar, your body's then burning the carbs and sugar for energy, and it's storing all the saturated fat. And so, you know, if you're somebody who cheats regularly or needs to have a cheat every weekend, and you're like, eat what you want during the week and cheat all weekend, don't do carnivore, just do low fat during the week, because you're going to give yourself the worst of both situations, trying to eat carnivore high fat through the week, and then drink and eat whatever you want on the weekends. But the risk with doing low fat is long term, you will get nutrient deficiencies, and your hormones will get messed up in your mental health. And so that is why a low carb, high fat diet is ideal. Yeah. So the next one is from Peaches Feathers. Feather toes, uh, real life. I appreciate the evidence-based information along with the fact that these ladies are real people and not airbrushed Instagram celebrities. As a mom in her 40s who is a busy living life, I'm happy to have found carnivore information all along with talk of emotion, stress, addictive eating, and how to live life while also talk, taking care of your nutrition. Yeah. I, that's really important to Judy and I. We certainly um, are not perfect and we don't want to dwell on that, but we also want to make sure you guys understand that neither one of us uses filters or photoshops or whatever. And I think that I come on stories obviously more than Judy does, but like I come on looking very different. Sometimes I'm like glammed hair and makeup and ready to go to the office and or church. And sometimes I'm in my pajamas with none of that. And like real people look different in all different circumstances and different lighting and different. uh, When I'm tired, I look really tired. (laughs) And so, you know, I don't look like a cartoon character all the time, but it's, it's, uh, it is who I am. (laughs) Okay, the next one is Carnivore Doberek. Uh, I love your podcast. Look forward to every Wednesday morning. Listen on my one-hour ride into work. This last one was great. Dr. Sives is my doctor. I've been seeing him for a year now. I am one of the veteran carnivores he has been talking about. I've healed and now have swung too far over to the other side. So I'm lower. So I lower my fat intake and use whole milk to cause insulin spikes. Lean day, fat day, and micronutrient day. Excited to see how I do. We are going to recheck my labs in June and see if they have changed any. So funny story. Um, she actually reached out to me, and I'm pretty sure it's her because of the name, but uh, she reached out to me on DMs, and we actually had a call. I don't want to divulge too much information, but we are changing her dietary hmm. probably in a way that Dr. Sivas wouldn't be too happy, but she's going to experiment for a little bit because... I don't think she loves being on the lean protein day. So I'll just say that I did review her blood work, but we'll see. We'll see how she does. Um, So she's going to do a few experiments over the next few weeks. She'll get the blood work done and we'll see how she does. There's a lot of things yeah, that I want to point out that like it's, it's not to say that this whole lean day, fat day, micronutrient day, like that might work physically and nutritionally, but from a mental standpoint, like you have to find something that's sustainable for you. And more than anything, you have to be able to stick to it. And so while on paper and by design, that type of structure might work, it also has to be something that you can stick to. And if you can't do it and be happy and content, then it's not going to work and you got to find a different way to do it. Yeah. I mean, we don't sleep the same amount every day. Some days we sleep the same amount and we're tired and some days we have less of an appetite and that's very normal. And so one thing I said to her was, 
if you think you could do this until the age of 90 and you're consistent and this is how you'll maintain your weight, then maybe it's an okay lifestyle. But for most people doing these like alternate days and remembering, wait, what day am I fasting? What day am I eating lean? I mean, to do that until you're 90, it's it's a pretty hard way to maintain your weight and health. And maybe there's just different ways we can do it. One thing that I don't recommend is, um, I know Dr. Sivest recommends that um, you can have the insulin spike in the morning. And I find that to be very odd because our cortisol naturally is higher in the morning. And you don't want to be eating the carbs in the morning. I mean, most people say carb up at night because if you start the insulin spike in the morning, if you spike it more, you're going to start going through that hangry roller coaster where now all of a sudden you're craving carbs um, from the morning and you're ravenous throughout the day and you'll end up eating more. One recommendation I give people that are you know, trying this Dr. Sivest experiment is if you're going to have carbs, whether it's berries, whether it's milk, maybe you do it at night and see how it affects your sleep and how it affects your mood. Um, Okay, I think we're almost done. But here is maybe one or two more. So loving this, I just ran across your podcast. And I'm so excited. I love what I've heard so far. And I'm happy for more healthy information to on hand to listen to. I just listened to the episode on restriction and binging and the analogies y'all gave really clicked with me. I plan on keeping that thought with me and use it uh, every day as a tool to put to good use. And then she added an update that said the episode with Dr. Silas was Sivest was outstanding. I can't thank you enough for talking about this topic. And what is making a huge difference this time around is that I have been focusing on breaking the carb and sugar addiction rather than focusing on the weight loss. It has been a game changer. Stand strong just the way you both are. We need you people. And that is so kind. And I mean, listen, keep that one bookmarked. Listen to it often. I have old episodes of his that I listen to on repeat for the same reason, um, because a lot of those takeaways, like it just really helps to reinforce it and helps you when you're not feeling strong. So that would be excellent. Cool. So this one is Jen2331. Thank you for the restaurant advice. Thank you, Laura, for the advice on how to order and save money. Very helpful for the single budget-friendly mom. Ignore the negative Nellies and keep doing you. Cool. And now it looks like everybody's making those types of videos. So there's a <laughs> lot more content out there for you to uh, see on people on how they order because it's what everybody's doing now. All right. Next one. <laughs> Great information. Uh, keto for health. I learned something new. Every time I listen to you guys are so supportive and helpful. I like the candidness of the podcast and the real life tips. Please explain in more detail about the lower ketone levels and higher glucose at it relates to not having energy. You mentioned it in episode 47. Thank you for all you do and keep them coming. If you are eating some what of carbohydrates in your diet, um, but it's not a lot. So it's less than 50 grams of carbohydrates a day but you're not eating enough fat either. And then your ketones are really low and your blood sugar is just okay. Um, But your energy is low. You may just not be in a ketogenic state where you have enough energy. So you're not getting enough energy from fatty acids and those carbohydrates that you're consuming from carbs, or maybe you're eating excess of protein that's turning into gluconeogenesis, but you're in this like spot of not enough energy from carbohydrates and not enough energy from fatty acids or ketones. What you want to do is you have to choose a side, essentially, it Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to that Randall cycle. And so what I would recommend typically with my clients is um, track your blood sugar, track your ketones, if your ketones are under 0.5, and your energy just is not there, I would actually try to go higher fat, and I would try to cut the carbs as much as possible. But you'll just have to experiment because the ultimate symptom will be your own energy. If you feel low energy on this way of eating, then I would switch up the macros. And oftentimes that is a big solution. 
Yeah, definitely. I can tell a difference in my glucose and my energy levels. If I eat like a ton of lean protein right at night before I go to bed, um, my glucose is really high in the mornings. I have a hard time waking up and it really kind of leaves me dragging and and messes up that cycle. So it's important just to be aware of how it's affecting you and uh, adjust that slightly. So that was a lot of reviews. We caught up. I think we had we had not done them in a couple of months. So we're caught up now through February, and that was all of March's. Um, and so feel free. We will we try to do like you know a couple every episode so that we don't have a big chunk like that. But we're now that we're caught up. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss or ask us something, that would be the best place to do it. We appreciate the support more than anything, and the fact that you're listening and sharing, and it means so much to us. Uh, and hope we hope to continue to uh, continue to share this message, and then. I mean, hopefully we'll see you. I think actually this is coming out a couple days before the Austin meetup. And then we, um, if not, we will see you at KetoCon. The Austin meetup is, I mean, it's free for everyone to come. There's no reservations. It's really just come on by and make some friends, eat some good meats and just say hello. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.